Well, we're continuing to move through our series, Jesus, on the message of the Sermon on the Mount for today. Uh, You're going to notice that we're going to, in a sense, jump off that a little bit, but not really too far, because when you see the passage we're going to cover, we're going to see how it's all all connected. Uh, So again, it's good to have you here. I'm online. You can catch up if you've missed a couple weeks, if it's your first time. If you're listening online, I just want to remind you that uh, some of the things you've missed by not being in person. If you're in driving distance, we'd love to have you here. We've had a good time talking about some current affairs, issues in life. Uh, We're going to be celebrating communion in a little bit. And then afterwards, there's uh, coffee if you're into drinking coffee to, to enjoy company. So please check us out sometime. So again, as we continue on with this series, we're continuing on with the idea of prayer. We've broken it down into four parts, and so we've talked two weeks already. We're going to talk this week, and then next week again, uh, we'll continue on. Next week, we'll be looking at the idea that what do you do when it's clear that God has said no to your prayer? But this morning, we look at persistent prayer. We look at a question that many of us have asked is, it seems like I've had this prayer request, I've I've talked to God about this, and I feel like I continue to bring it to Him, and I'm persistent, but but nothing's happening. Uh, How am I supposed to feel? What's supposed to be going on in my life? And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, maybe you have felt like this guy when it comes to persistent prayer. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Tell me about it. So uh, last week I closed that huge Brickman deal, right? Made the company piles of cash. They should be erecting... Dear Lord, I've known Stan since fifth grade. And you know, as well as I know, that he's turned whining into an art form. And how do they thank me? Oh, hey, Stan, need some new leads? Here's a phone book full of dead people and some car magnets for your 88 Geo. Go set the world on fire. Please give him some sort of optimism or bright spot in his otherwise miserable, pathetic life. So how does he get the great region, you might ask? Well, that's a fantastic question. I got three words for you. Kiss a... Let me place that. Oh, I had it first. No, you didn't. I put it down for two seconds and he stole it. God, it is true that children are such a gift. Give it to me before I bust you in the face. Dad, he said he's going to bust me in the face. And while I don't know exactly what I did to deserve such a tremendous gift, God, I would just ask that you might give them a sense of peace and love toward one another. Oh, hey, there you are. I almost didn't see you there. The way you're just sitting there in your chair watching your football game. You kind of blend in with your surroundings. You're like a little chameleon. You know, be sure to let me know if I need to come over there and roll you over so you don't get bed sores, all right? God, what can I say about Kelly? Except that she makes me want to spend more time with the kids. I get up and I work my fingers to the bone. You see that right there? That's bone you're looking at. I would just ask that you call on all of your might and all of your power and give me one solitary day where my wife is not nagging me into an early grave. But do you take notice? No, you don't notice. And why would you? I'm not wearing a Dallas Cowboys jersey, am I? Or am I wearing Hot Wings perfume? Mm-mm, that's sweat you're smelling. Yeah, yeah, it's sweat and tears. Get a whiff of that. I mean, what can I do? Can I quit? No, I can't quit. Better give it back. Better give it back. 
jog and jog and jog and jog and jog to her. I look my best. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. No, no, they've got me handcuffed. Say it one more time. <laughs> oh yeah, I've got to look my best for you. For you, for what? So that you can sit there and watch the TV. <laughs> bring over an IV for you, full of Alfredo sauce. I mean, unbelievable! Truly unbelievable. So we're talking about persistent prayer. And all of us have been there where we have been praying about something. And we'll get back to uh, that guy and Kelly, his wife. Don't, don't think I've thrown her under the bus. So we'll uh, talk about what was going on there a little bit as we get farther along. But this idea of persistent prayer, the idea that prayer changes things. We hold on to that. Those of us who are Christ followers, uh, those of us who uh, think of God, we're saying, yeah, prayer changes things. It makes a difference. But at the same time, we find ourselves occasionally getting stuck or often getting stuck in this place with this question, why does prayer seem to change nothing? So what do we do with that? How do we live within that tension? What are we supposed to do about it? And uh, we can pray and pray, and sometimes it's funny a little bit, and sometimes, honestly, it's just heartbroken because we prayed about something and uh, nothing seems to be happening. So I'd like you to open up to uh, Luke chapter 11. You can do that with one of the Bibles around you, and that's page 725. The verses will also be up on the screen. Uh, if you don't have your own personal copy of God's Word, please feel free to take that uh, rack Bible as a, as a gift. And also, if uh, you have a smart device, you can always download version, and you can have... Uh, varying translations with you wherever you go. So I encourage you to, to do that and have that with you. So Luke chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to see some similar language and wording from uh, the Sermon on the Mount. One thing we need to realize when we look at those first four books of the New Testament, those first four records, uh, they call them the Gospels, the Gospel Good News, of good news of Jesus Christ. When they unfold those, they're coming from three or four different perspectives. And that's not that they contradict each other. It's just the same way if you had an event happen in your life, you would highlight certain things, and somebody else who saw the exact same event would highlight other things. So it's not that both people weren't at the same event, that they contradict each other. It's just certain things strike you differently and than the other person talking about the same thing. So you need to understand that as we go through this. So... Uh, we begin in verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. We see all the time he slips off to pray. Uh, it's interesting that he does that again. That, that's a spending time connecting with God was important to him. It was needed to him. Uh, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. 
just as John, John the baptizer, John the Baptist, taught his disciples, his followers, to pray. And it's interesting, again, you don't really see uh, Jesus' followers asking Jesus much about teaching them things, but one thing they really saw in Jesus' life is that he was able to connect with God in such a way that it gave him that inner strength that we talked about that Paul sent that message to Timothy, and they wanted that. So in verse 2, we continue on. Sounds very uh, similar to the Sermon on the Mount. Again, Jesus uh, would be like a, a circuit rider in a sense. He'd go from place to place. He walked, and uh, when he would there, he had key, key things he would share with them, and sometimes he would share 75% of what he shared at another place and then go in a little bit of a different direction. So again, that's why you see some of the ebb and flow into some of these accounts. He said to them, when you pray... Father, hallowed be your name. We talked about this last time. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And we go, wait a minute, this sounds like we've just gone to a completely different story. But Jesus is anticipating, Jesus knows the hearts of his listeners, he knows our hearts today, and we read the Lord's Prayer, that famous prayer, and then we're thinking... What about this persistent prayer? What about when I'm talking to God and asking him and, and asking him to work uh, in my life, in the life of those around me? Uh, what, what's going on? How is God going to respond? So Jesus gives this parable. And we've got to remember that a parable is a story with a moral. Uh, sometimes we can unpack these and find details that I don't really think were intended there, but there's an overall theme, an overall idea, and uh, he's trying to get his disciples and get us to think because obviously uh, he knows where we're coming from. So he continues on. Guy knocks on his door, uh, needs, needs some help. He's midnight. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are in bed, and I can't get up and give you anything. Now, at first glance, we, we kind of relate to this guy. We, we get that to a point, but there's a part of this culture, this story that you and I don't necessarily get, and that's that some of these dwellings were very simple homes. So if you had a large family and you had a two-room home, all the, the, the dad, the men slept in one room, and all the ladies slept in another room. It's kind of, I kind of was trying to think of this, it's like when you go camping. Have you ever been on like a youth group camping trip, and you've got like 10 kids in this, this tent, and you've kind of finally got everybody down, they're stopped hitting people, they're like those two brothers, they're, they're finally quiet, they've kind of fallen asleep, and all of a sudden, someone would knock at your tent door and say, hey, and you'd be like, shh, shh, don't bother me. It's not because you're not a nice person. It's just like you do not want to wake everybody up. And the person's like, I cannot help you. I, I, you just get away. Story continues on. 
I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, your boldness, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And so someone hearing this the first time goes, so, so where do I fit into this story? Am I a guy knocking on the door at midnight? Uh, am I the guest traveler? Am I the guy with, you know, five, six, ten young kids and maybe not so young sleeping in the same room and the door's over there and I'm just not getting up because I don't want to wake up? Who am I? Who am I? And at first glance, most of us would say, I'm the guy inside in bed, and the guy's knocking on my door. And they'll go, no, 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 I don't know who I am. Then we're going, wait a minute, he's just talking about prayer. Maybe Jesus is saying the guy in the room who doesn't want to get up is actually God. So when you and I ask God for something, it's not because of our friendship, it's because of our boldness, and as we're going to see in a couple of other places, because of our just relentlessly asking, driving him nuts, that finally he relents. And maybe it's ask number 501, and then finally the floodgates from heaven open up, and God says, I'm so sick of hearing from Dave Spencer. I'm going to do it, not because we're friends, not because I like him, not or anything. I just, want to, just don't want to be hearing that prayer request over and over again. But as we're going to walk through this, we're going to see that Jesus says persistence in prayer is something that the Christ follower should be about. And that when you and I are persistent in prayer, we release, in a sense, the power of prayer. It's not, it's not magical. It's not those kinds of things. We're going to see what Jesus has to say as we, as we unpack this. So you and I, as we're thinking about persistence in prayer, and we're thinking about uh, coming to God, and we're first going to go, maybe he's just got to bug him to death until he finally says yes, just like you used to bug your parents when you wanted to something, and finally they might say yes, just keeping on them. Maybe God's that way. Maybe he's not that way. And so we want to we wanna release the power. We want to see the power of persistent prayer show up in our lives. Uh, Paul, again, the Apostle Paul, writes this to a group of Christians in the town, city of Ephesus. He says this, God is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, and hopes. So Paul is getting at something that I think Jesus is getting at something that we need to be a people of consistency, persistent prayer, and for some reason it seems to, in a sense, open the hand of God. And the question is, does it open up the hand because we're driving him crazy, or does it open his hand for another reason? And so when we're thinking about persistent prayer, there needs to be a tenacity to it, a tenaciousness of, of focused prayer. We, we just hold on. We grab hold, and we don't let go. Jesus tells another story, expounds on this idea of asking and being relentless and being persistent when he says this. So I say to you, 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. And you and I read that, and again, we're thinking of tenacity-focused prayer, and I, I'm guessing you can come up with three or four things you've prayed for. Some of you have prayed for them for years. And again, you look at this and go, it's not working. That seems like just ask, da-da, ask, da-da, it's not working. Jesus goes on, and he goes on to continue about talking about how to interact. So Jesus tells us other stories. He says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. They need to hold on to their prayer. So jumping over to 18, we have this story. Beginning in verse 2, he said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. So this guy is not motivated as a judge. And there was a window in that, and there was a widow, not a window, there probably was a window in that town, but this doesn't say that. And there was a widow, wid, thank you, in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused but finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. She's driving me nuts. So what is Jesus getting at with this idea of persistent prayer? Now, some of you may can think back of some times where you have actually experienced the positive result of persistent prayer. So I've gone back and tried to think of what kind of examples I could give. I, I come back on one because I forget about it. I forgot that I prayed consistently for this, and it, it actually, years later, seemed to shake out in my life. And then I was like, wow, isn't that interesting? And then I went, no, no, no. It goes back to that time where I was persistently praying. And uh, it's uh, the summer I met Cindy, 1985. And uh, I had just uh, finished my freshman year of college. Uh, I was a pretty carefree guy. Uh, I found my ID picture for there. That's me back then. Look at that, rocking that chain. Pretty cool guy, huh? Sun in my hair and all that stuff. It was, it was, those were the good days. And so I was, uh, you know, just loving life. And uh, um, I can remember meeting Cindy that summer and uh, just, uh, just being captivated by her. She was a couple years older than me, so I was 19. She was 22. So I mean, I was like, you know, way down on the food chain, very, uh, very immature. I know that it's hard to believe. By the way, I, I thought I'd show you the next year's uh, ID picture. What happened to me? I, that's what the first year of college does to you. I got a tie on, not happy at all. Chain is gone. Hair is darker. I am not happy. But anyway, so, so people, if, this is a freebie. If you're thinking about school, you're thinking about future, go to trade school. Learn how to do something with your hands. Just don't go to school because that could happen to you. Anyway, so I met Cindy that summer. And, uh, you know, I'm 
number of reasons, head over heels, and she's like, who's this guy who's going to school in Virginia? I'm in Philadelphia finishing up my teaching degree. And at the end of the summer, there's this very romantic picture. There we are. Oh, isn't that so cute? And, and, and I've, you know, I've fallen in love and she, all this kind of stuff. And anyway, so when I get back to school that fall on our dorm, it was a Christian school, and we had a room set aside for prayer. And uh, I, I actually... I, Kind of embarrassing on one hand, but not embarrassing because it worked. I persistent prayer. I actually every day had a had a window of no classes, and so from one o'clock to two o'clock, I would go in that prayer room Monday through Friday, and pray about Cindy. Now sometimes I would fall asleep. I have to admit, but uh, I would go in there and pray, and I did that. And I, I've not done anything that serious. Since, I mean, that may, maybe that sounds terrible, but for that semester, every day, Monday through Friday till Christmas, I would pray about our relationship and how I wanted Cindy to be a part of my life. And um, three years later, we got married. But there were some rocky roads. That's for another story. But, uh, but one day after we were married, it dawned on me because I kind of just like slipped from my mind that I had done that, but I had done that. That was persistent prayer. And like I said, I'm a little ashamed. Uh, There haven't been many situations where I've allocated that kind of energy, that kind of effort to something. And uh, probably that was the best thing I could have ever prayed for because I'm still enjoying the blessings of having Cindy as my wife and life partner. 32 years this summer. So, so anyway, so, so persistent prayer is something that should be on the hearts of those that follow Christ. I've shared this video before, but it's so powerful. I love this woman. She's gone home to be with the Lord probably 10 years ago, uh, but uh, she's true New Englander. You can hear it in her voice. This is Barbara Plant talking about persistent prayer in her life. Five years that he would be saved. Yes, and I started praying for him as soon as I was saved. Five years into the marriage, I was saved. He was very set against anything spiritual. He didn't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. So I thought, well, if I can't talk it, I'll walk it. Later on, a few years later, he got very sick. He coughed all the time. He couldn't talk. He coughed. He sneezed. The doctor uh, operated on him, and he called me up, and he said, in all my years of surgery, I have never in my life seen anything like that. One lung is completely eaten away by cancer. The other one is adhered to his chest. And he says, there's nothing we can do except sew him up and send him home to recuperate. And every single treatment he had made him feel worse. He couldn't eat. He was cold all the time. Walter Holder visited in the hospital. He says, Barbara, I know how he feels about spiritual things. I'm not going to minister to him. I'm simply going to befriend him. So he went in about every day and uh, befriended him. Then later on, a pastor came out. He says, we've got a new brother in Christ, but don't say a word. Let him tell you. So I went in to be told, and he said, nothing. So I went off to my place in the kitchen. Baba, 
Might as well tell you I'm a Christian now. That's all he ever said. But it says in the Bible, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. And he did just enough to cover it. At his funeral, the pastor mentioned how he had been so opposed to anything spiritual, but he finally, he, Pastor Holder, led him to the Lord. He says, you know, it was just like cutting melted butter. He was ready, he was waiting, and he promised me the very first chance he and it's interesting, she, she tells that story, she talks about how she had well-meaning friends, well-meaning Christ followers, uh, tell her she, she could just back off from that prayer, back off from that focus. And, and he was not a pleasant person. And this isn't in all cases, but they actually encourage, you, you don't have to stick with this guy. No, wasn't being abused, wasn't anybody, but they just playing diff, all kinds of mind games. But Barbara wanted to see her husband come to that interchange we sang about in the first song. And so she just stuck with it. It's an amazing story. And what's so cool about it to me is I think about this as here we are 10 years later and I can still pull this up. And Barbara, even though she's gone to be with the Lord for all these years, is still pointing to Christ. So you never know. You never know how any of yours, my uh, comments, examples can point to Christ for years to come, even once you're gone. So side issue, live a life as best as you can that points to him. So as we think about persistency, she was persistent. I can't remember if she said it in there, but I want to say she, she prayed for him for like 25 years and just held on to it. And sometimes, sometimes I think the reason our prayers need to be so persistent is because it's not about what we're praying for or who we're praying for. It's about what God wants to do within us. And so there's a lot going on behind the scenes. So even going back to uh, that opening video, you know, and, and that guy saying his prayers, you know, and he's getting on his wife, Kelly. But, but, but maybe if we could have dug deeper into it, again, it was just meant to be funny and make us think. But if you could dug deeper in it, I'm sure we would find some things that needed to happen in that husband's life when it came to his friend, when it came to his kids, and when it came to his wife. And that's not to make us feel guilty. It's just we all have room to grow. We all have room to grow. So, so just remember that when you're thinking about that. But I want to come back to the idea of this persistent prayer. God seems like that, 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 that guy who doesn't want to get up out of bed. It seems like that, that judge who just doesn't really care. And so I want to talk about the nature of our Heavenly Father. The nature of our Heavenly Father. And what Jesus is going to do, he's going to make some parallels to us as parents, us as, as parents, and what we do for our kids, and, and what God does for us being our Heavenly Father. So he gives us a little illustration. Which of you fathers, if you had a son ask for a fish, would it will give him a snake instead? Or if you asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? And I go, well, that's kind of weird, egg, scorpion. Um, did a little reading on this, and when a scorpion is kind of like hunkered down, rolled up, in this, in this area, they're, they're, they're white, they're clear, so they actually almost could look like an egg. So that's what, you know, you want an egg, but I give you a scorpion. And um, so, so Jesus is saying, so, so which of you would do that for your children? If you're a good parent, you wouldn't do that to your children. 
Uh, th then we, so we see that there's this heavenly father in this role. Uh, there's another story that's very familiar that we won't go into, but it's out of uh, Luke 15, 20. That's called the uh, prodigal son. Some of you are very familiar with this, but it's interesting. Again, this, this prodigal son does all these things to alienate himself from his father and everything about his father, but his, son, his father never gives up. The nature of this father is tied to the reflects the nature of our heavenly father so the father he got up and went to his father went so he got up the son got up went to his father but while the son was still a long way off his father saw him and was filled with compassion not a see i told you so was filled with compassion he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him we don't have the time to expand on this, but I want to say just a couple things about this. This was very humbling in the culture for the father to do this. His, he loved his son. There's even the idea that, that I've heard people talk about this. It's like the father would get up every day and kind of look down the road and say, maybe this is the day my son will come home. And when he saw him, no one could hold him back. When I get a little dodgy about who God is in my life, my heavenly father, what his nature is. I actually have this verse written down in this list of things I sometimes go through, and it just reminds me of the love God had for me and has for me. That he would, even when I distance him, alienate him on purpose, go do my own thing, when I come to my senses and realize, wow, life is not as sweet without him. And I look his way, he's running to me instantaneously. None of us, none of us are too far from the love of God. Sometimes you invite folks to church and they say, oh, I can't go in there because the roof would fall in, in fearing that they're just, that's just, they're just so far gone. Absolutely rubbish. Not true. You're never too far from the love of God. And I want to say that he is looking down the road every day to see if you will take a step towards him. See, the nature of our Heavenly Father when it comes to this persistent prayer thing isn't that he's withholding. He's not like, oh, I want him to ask me 10,000 times and then I'll say yes. It's none of that is going on. Verse 13 of Luke 11 says this, If you then, referring back to that role, you are evil, and if sir, we're not perfect, hopefully Everyone in the room doesn't think you've arrived, you're perfect, you don't have any blind sides, you got it all together. So you as a parent, you're not a perfect parent, know how to give good gifts to your children, know how to love them. How much more will your heaven, will your father in heaven love you? You see, he's all over it. So the persistency in prayer, Jesus says, be persistent, lean into that. But don't think he's like a grumpy judge or a tired person that doesn't want to get up and is just not wanting to bother with you or me. You see, God has prepared the best answers to our prayer in light of not of the moment, but of eternity. 
Often he's trying to do something within us, working in us. So persistent prayer, it's not about just coming and asking for him to give us something. It's also the treasure of God's presence. Maybe I was just feeling it a little differently, but when we were singing that opening song, I was aware of God's presence. God is always present. That's how am I aware of his presence. And so persistence in prayer is not about getting your way, getting that thing, even when it's a wonderful thing. It's about God's presence, about stopping and shutting out all the distractions and, in a sense, getting before him and enjoying his presence. happy with a clicker today. Here we go. And again, it goes down. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give? The Holy Spirit to those who ask. And that is a realization of his presence. Sometimes uh, the rejection of his presence is the rejection of your request. And it's so, so he's, but he's not doing this tit-for-tat kind of thing up, you know, like, you step that line, boom, you know, he's not, he's, that's not what he's doing. But he knows that the, the, the request is not the answer for our lives. My life being complete as a freshman or sophomore in college wasn't getting the girl of my dreams. It was growing closer to God talked about this before, and I'm going to get it wrong. Cindy compliments my life, but doesn't complete it. Your request does not complete your life. It's not the answer to your life. It may complicate. Here we go again. You know what I mean. I'm not going to go down that road. But you get what I'm saying. Jesus talked about having God's presence right with us, the Holy Spirit, The friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request, will make everything plain to you. He will remind you of all the things I've told you. I'm leaving you well and whole. That's my parting gift to you. Peace, holistic, complete peace. I don't leave you the way you're used to being left, feeling abandoned, bereaved. So don't be upset. Don't be distraught. You see, sometimes we need to have our sensitivity increased in our hearts that we actually need a comforter. Why do you need a comforter? Comforter, If you're already comfortable. Because sometimes, uh, and I've said this before, we, we, we lean into the gift rather than the gift giver. So, I'm going to move along a little bit here. Our bottom line is this. When we know who he is, we trust him as he is. When you start to understand who God is in your life, who your Savior is in your life, who the Spirit is in your life, we trust him as he is. We can lean in. So whether it's a virus sweeping the planet or not, or the economy or whatever, when we know God... As he is, we can trust him as he is. 
also included in your message guide some uh, questions to ask you about your prayer. I'm not going to walk through all these, but you can understand these. Uh, sometimes uh, our prayers uh, need some tweaking, uh, need some adjustments. Uh, David Maines uh, talks about this. You can look at those later. But just to kind of go back, this whole idea of God is honored and moved by your persistent prayer. Just doing that says, you, God, are the answer to my life. You are the answer. So I want to ask you is, what is your big prayer? What are you asking for these days? Have you put anything on the table for the Lord? Uh, sometimes, I have to admit it, I don't ask because I'm afraid he's not going to come through, and now I'm going to have to defend why he didn't do what I thought he ought to do. And, and these are things I think are in line with who he is. So sometimes I don't want to ask. No, no. What is your big prayer request? What is it? And when you land on it, and you see it as a reflection of being present with God, God being present with you, don't let go of it. Keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. Barbara Plant told us that. I told you that when I took four months, five days a week, for an hour or so. Kept hold of it. Kept seeking. Again, when we know who he is, we trust him as he is. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just... Uh, Thank you for the way you love us. You don't always give us what we want, but you give us or don't give us what we need. And what we need is you. Those other things can be just icing on the cake. Renew within us an understanding of who you are and how you do complete life now and through eternity. In this chapter of life, in the next chapter of life. Help us not to get that confused. Help us to find that persistent prayer is also a part of us being in your presence. Help us not to get discouraged. Help us to uh, know what we're praying for and how it fits with your preferred will for our lives. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning who's never really said yes to you, Maybe they've intellectually acknowledged you or know you, but they've never, never really leaned in on a heart level. I would ask that even in this moment, they would be saying, Lord, come into my life. I thank you that your son gave his life for me. I thank you that he rose again. And I thank you that I can walk with you. Please come into my life. I want you to, to complete my life now. Lord, once again, we just uh, thank you that we can be together to talk about these things. Encourage our hearts, strengthen our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.